Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be continuing our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning. I'll be reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 18. Don't worry, I'm not just completely skipping over uh, verses 7 through 15. We're going to come back to those. But this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 18, found on page 811 in the Pew Bibles. You'll remember that Jesus began this sermon, uh, this Sermon on the Mount, with a series of blessings, which we often refer to as the Beatitudes, blessings in which uh, Jesus taught us that we are saved not by righteousness, but to righteousness. He taught us that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit, not to those who believe that they have accomplished something, but to those who know that they haven't. Not to those who believe they have earned God's blessing, but to those who have known that they have earned only His wrath. It is those who come before God in humility and in poverty of spirit that receive His blessing, that receive the kingdom of God. And it is these same humble, repentant sinners who Jesus goes on to teach us have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Have a hunger and a thirst to be conformed to the image of of the glory of their Savior. Jesus went on to teach us that the standard of that righteousness or the, or the definition of that righteousness is the very law of God. We are saved to righteousness and the righteousness that we are saved to is a righteousness that is defined by the law. So the law is not the means by which we are saved, but it is the goal of our salvation. Jesus comes to bring a kingdom that will be defined by the law. Now, in these verses that are before us this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 18, Jesus takes up the question of motivation. What is it that motivates repentant sinners to pursue righteousness? What is the source of their hunger? And here in these verses, he is going to show us that true righteousness requires not only the right what, that is, obedience to the law, but also the right why. It requires the right motivation. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason is not true righteousness. And so let us give our careful attention to what Jesus has to say to us here about the proper motivation of the Christian life. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others. Uh, That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing. Father in Heaven, we have read Your Word. We pray now that You would give us Your grace to understand it, Your grace to receive and to believe it, and most importantly, Father, Your grace to bring forth its fruit in our lives, all to the praise of Your glory and the good of Your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Motivation matters. Why we do something is often just as important as what we do. We see this illustrated powerfully in a, in a movie called With Honors. It's a movie that's older than some of you here, but uh, maybe, maybe you've seen it. It's a movie in which uh, a Harvard student named Monty Kessler is feverishly working on his senior dissertation with the hopes of graduating with honors. But as he is working on his senior thesis, his computer crashes. And suddenly he begins to panic. And he knows this is not good. But, he, but being a diligent student, he does have one paper copy of it. But he's, he's not satisfied with having one paper copy. So, so he immediately runs off down the street to the, go to the copy shop to get additional copies made of his senior thesis. But while he's on his way, he slips and falls and he drops the package. And, and the package containing his thesis slides down a grate. Uh, into the sewer system. And as he goes to retrieve it, he discovers that someone else found it first. A man named Simon, uh, someone who refers to himself as a Harvard bum because he, he lives on and about Harvard's campus. And Simon says, I'll give it back to you, but it's going to cost you. I'll give you three pages for every night of lodging that you provide for me. And I'll give you another few pages for every meal that you provide. And so begins this relationship between Monty and Simon. Simon begins to provide him with a place to to stay, with with blankets to keep warm, and with, with food to eat. But everybody knows why he's doing it. He's doing it to get back his thesis. He's doing it to get back his thesis a few pages at a time. But over the course of the movie, Monty begins to get to know Simon, not as the man who is holding his thesis hostage, but just as another human being. And he begins to actually grow in, in care and concern for him. And his motivation for doing the exact same things that he was doing at the beginning of the movie begins to change. And we see the change in his motivation all too clearly at the end of the movie. When Monty chooses to turn his thesis in late and to sacrifice the the ambition of graduating with honors in order to care for his now new friend, Simon. At the beginning of the movie, he was providing food, he was providing clothing, he was providing shelter, he was doing all these things, but he was doing them with a motivation to get his thesis back. At the end of the movie... His motivation has changed, and everybody knows the significance. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we can give all of our possessions to the poor, but if we do it without love, it is not true righteousness. Motivation matters. Why we do something matters. And that is what Jesus is is trying to teach us here in these verses. Notice how Jesus begins. He says, beware. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Don't do it. Beware of doing it. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, as Jesus is teaching us this, He drives the point home with with three vivid illustrations. First, He speaks of a person who's going to give to the poor, but a a person who, who before He gives... You know, goes and hires a trumpeter to make sure that everybody's going to know about it. He, he walks out onto the street course blowing the trumpet saying, Okay, here comes my alms, alms for the poor. I'm going to give, I'm going to give. Look at me. Look how generous I am. Then he speaks of a man who likes to pray standing on the street corners, making sure that everybody knows that, that he's having his prayer time, that he's having his, his hour of prayer right there on the city street. Finally, he speaks of a man who is fasting. A man who, who is, is denying himself before God, but is doing it in such a way that, that he disfigures his faith and he makes sure everybody knows just how hungry he is as he goes about denying himself. Jesus says, look at these people. You know the type. You know the type. Who Everything they do, they do it to be seen. Everything they do, they, they do it to garner praise. He says, don't be like that. Beware of being like that. But rather, my disciples must have a completely different motivation. Now, to help us understand this better, I want to ask three questions this morning. I I want to ask first, what is it that Jesus is warning us against? I want us to to make sure we clearly understand what it is that, that Jesus is saying we're not to do. Then I want us to understand why. Why is it that Jesus warns us against the this particular behavior? And finally, I want us to ask, how is it that we can learn to do what Jesus calls us to here in these verses. So first, what? What is it that Jesus is warning us against? And the first thing that we need to see is that that Jesus is not warning us against acts of righteousness. Now, in every generation, there are those who who sort of respond or or react against the hypocrisy of their day by by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And they say, you know, people can do all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons, and it's just just hypocrisy through and through. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not concerned. Jesus isn't concerned about what I do. He's concerned about my heart. He's concerned about whether or not I really love Him. And they say, actions don't matter, and God is only concerned about my heart. But they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus is not here warning us against acts of righteousness. Notice he doesn't say don't do acts of righteousness. He doesn't even say if you do acts of righteousness. He says when you do acts of righteousness, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus is not warning us against acts of righteousness. In fact, the acts of righteousness that he describes here are acts that, that really sum up the Christian life. Think about it. Giving is is an act of mercy. It is an act of of showing concern, physical concern for our neighbor. This is at the heart of the Christian life. Prayer is a a demonstration of our utter dependence upon Him, our our bringing to Him all of our needs, all of our petitions, all of our cares, all of our concerns, and, and laying them at His feet as the one who sits on the throne, as the one who alone is able to care for us, as the one who is alone our salvation. And then finally, fasting, something we're maybe a little less familiar with in our day and age, but nevertheless, a a discipline that represents self-denial, that represents saying no to our appetites, that represents reminding ourselves that food or, or anything else is not our God, that it is not our life, but that our life consists 
and serving Him and following Him and doing His will. Mercy, prayer, self-denial. Jesus understands. He knows that these will, in fact, be regular practices of those who are His disciples. He is not warning us against acts of righteousness themselves. And He's not even warning us against being seen by others when we do these acts of righteousness. He's not saying that absolutely never do these things at any time when somebody else can see you. If that's what he was saying, we would have already violated it this morning. We have already had Rick come up here and pray publicly with all of you watching, with all of you here. If Jesus was saying that this was an absolute prohibition against being seen by others, then we would have already violated it this morning. But more importantly, not only would we have violated it, but Jesus himself violates it. Because he is constantly seen praying by his disciples. So the prohibition is not against acts of righteousness, nor is it against being seen by others doing acts of righteousness. But here's the important key. It is against doing acts of righteousness in order to be seen by others. That's the key. It is is a question of the motivation of your heart. Are you doing these things in order to be seen by others? Are you doing these things in order that they might think well of you, in order that they might praise you? He, He mentions the trumpet. It's a, it's a humorous picture if you really think about it. Someone who, who brings a trumpet to church and has the trumpet blown before he places his check in the offering plate. As far as I know, that probably has never happened in this church. We have probably never had someone blow a trumpet before placing their check in the offering plate. But doing to be seen is not always so obvious. Doing to be seen is not always as, as garish as he makes it look here in these Stories we do to be seen in any number of ways, subtle ways, little little comments here, maybe even a prayer request there. We ask for, for prayer about something that we're doing to, to make sure that they people know exactly what it is that we are doing. Think about it in your own life. What is it that motivates your acts of righteousness? What is it that, that motivates you to, to show mercy? What is it that motivates you to have your quiet time of of prayer in the morning or in the evening? What is it that motivates you to deny yourself, to say no to the sinful passions of your flesh? I suspect that for most of us here this morning, our motives are mixed. There is a part of us that is, that is motivated by a sincere desire to please God. That is, that is part of the good work that God is doing in us. But at the same time, there is still that sinful desire to be seen by men. Dave Disforge, a, a pastor in a, a PCA pastor in Asheville, North Carolina, illustrates this with a with a story from everyday life. He tells the story of, of being home with his family one Saturday while his wife was was out running errands, and as he was cleaning up the dishes after lunch, he he noticed that there was just this thin layer of, of grime on the on the front of the dishwasher and on some of the cabinets that were around it. You know how it goes, people moving dishes from the sink and spilling all the counts. If you have kids, you know exactly what that's like. And and as he as he noticed that thin layer of grime, he, his first thought he admitted was that you know, my wife really ought to do something about that. You know, she, she really ought to clean it up. But then he very quickly came to himself and said, no, 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 I can do this. I can do this as an, act of, as an act of love and concern. I know it would please her to have this cleaned up. She just hasn't had the time. She's busy. I'm going to do it. And so in, in an act of sincere and genuine love for his wife, he, he cleaned it up. But then he started thinking, no one saw me do that. No one knows what a good husband I am. I really need to tell somebody. 
And she said over the course of the next week, he found three or four occasions to, to just mention in passing this good and, and great sacrifice that he had done for his wife. I suspect most of us know what that's like. You, you do something and, and you think you're sincere at first, but then when nobody notices, you quickly find out you want people to know. Our motives are mixed. We, we have a desire to be seen by others. And this is what Jesus says, listen, you've got to fight that desire. You've got to put that desire to death because it doesn't lead anywhere good. But why? Why is it that Jesus is against what seems so natural to us, this, this natural desire to earn the praise of others? Why does Jesus warn us against doing good deeds to be seen by others? Well, if you'll notice in his warning there in verse 1, his concern is for us. He is, he's giving us a warning for our good. He says, listen, if you do good works to be seen, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He warns us against doing good deeds to be seen in order to protect our reward. Now, I know that for many, this is uncomfortable language. We, we don't like talk of reward. It seems to be a very contradiction to the, the gospel of, of grace. We, we receive by mercy. We receive by grace. We receive unmerited favor. We, there's no place for reward in the Christian gospel. But notice, we may be hesitant, but Jesus isn't. Jesus is never hesitant to, to speak about reward. He is never hesitant to say, look, there's coming a day. When you are going to be rewarded for the things that you have done. In fact, he's going to do this very thing in verse 19. He's going to say, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but instead do what? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's not against treasure. He's not against laying up treasure. He is against laying up treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. He says, don't do that. It's not wise. Why would you give your life to the pursuit of treasures that can be, can be marred, it can be, can be stolen, and be taken away? Should you not give your life to the pursuit of treasures that are infinite, eternal, glorious, unfading? It's not that Jesus is against Reward. It's not that he's against treasure. In fact, uh, his very call to deny ourselves, to, to lose our lives, is motivated by the desire to find our life, by the desire to, to know true life. He says, listen, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, for the one who saves his life will lose it. But what? But the one who loses his life for my sake, the one who gives up his life for my sake, he's the one who will find true life indeed. We need to know this. The Christian life is never a life of ultimate denial. It is never about giving up on our good. It is never about pursuing that which is ultimately to our harm. Never. Are there times when we have to say no to ourselves? Are there, are there times when we have to endure hardship? Absolutely in this life. But Paul says as clearly as he can possibly say it, the struggles, the pain, the turmoil that we will experience in this life are slight and momentary when compared to the glory that is being prepared for us. The Christian life is a life of momentary self-denial, but it is ultimately a life of reward, a life of infinite Joy at the Father's right hand. We pursue God. We, we, we follow 
His Son, Jesus Christ, as His disciples, because ultimately it is our highest and greatest good. It is what we were made for. It is what will satisfy us. And it is what will be our life. So Jesus says, listen, do not do your good deeds before others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you are giving up the only reward that's worth it. You're exchanging real glory for tinfoil. Don't do it. But there's another question we must ask. Why? Why is God's reward tied to doing our righteous deeds in secret? Why do we give up God's reward when we do our righteous deeds in order to be seen by others? Why does God care about the motive of our heart? Well, here we have to think back again to where Jesus began and His blessings upon the poor in spirit. As I said, God's kingdom is given freely to those who know they don't deserve it. We read throughout the New Testament that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If you come to God proudly, if you come to God standing on your own merit, standing on your own record, saying, God, hey, look at me. Look at me. I, I'm, I'm worth it. I, I deserve your blessing. I've earned it. I've been a good person. If you, if you come to God proudly, He will oppose you. And He will say, listen, if you want to earn my reward, be perfect as I am perfect. If you want to earn my reward, keep my law without a single error all of your life. If you want to keep my law, abide by all things written in my word. But if we will come to Him in humility... He does not oppose us, but He receives us. If we will come to Him acknowledging, Father, I have fallen short, and not just a little short, but far short. I am a sinner, justly deserving of Your wrath and condemnation. I have nothing that I can offer to You in exchange for Your blessing. I come only for mercy. If we will come to Him in that humility, He will not turn us away. God dwells in a high and lofty place, but also with those who are lowly and contrite in heart. He delights in the humble. He delights in those who will allow Him to be merciful. Those who try to do business with God. Those who who try to buy His favor. Those He opposes. But those who come to Him for mercy, He will bless. That is the very essence of God's relationship with man. That is at the very heart of the Gospel. But when we do our good deeds to be seen, we are the very opposite of poor in spirit. When we do our good deeds to be seen by others, we are trying to prove to others and to ourselves that we really are good. That we really really do deserve some praise. That we really have accomplished something in our strength. God wants us to come to acknowledging our unrighteousness and our need for mercy. But when we do our good deeds before others to be seen by them, we are seeking to prove our righteousness and to show forth our merit. Therefore, when we do our good deeds to be seen by others, we cut ourselves off from God's blessing, a blessing which is reserved for the poor in spirit, a blessing that is reserved for the humble. Obviously then, it is vitally important for us to learn to to put to death this, this craving that resides in each and every one of our hearts for the praise of men. Obviously, it is, it is important for us to, to develop the type of humility that will allow us to acknowledge our need of God's mercy and allow us to, to do our good deeds in secret. But how? How can we learn something that feels so unnatural? 
How can we learn something that, that goes against the grain of our sinful human nation? Obviously, it is something we need to do. God's reward depends upon it. But just as obvious, it is something that is terribly difficult. For the desire for praise is deeply rooted in each and every one of our hearts. Let me tell you this morning that the answer is not going to be a sheer act of will. It is not going to be simply you getting up tomorrow and deciding, okay, God, today I am not going to let anybody know the good things that I'm doing. I'm going to do them in secret. And I'm going to keep them to myself. Because notice, Jesus' standard is tougher than even that. You may be able to force yourself to do all of your good deeds in secret and to not tell anybody else. But notice what he says when he talks about giving. He says, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Not only do you have to keep your deeds in secret, but you have to even keep yourself from taking pride in them. You have to, to keep yourself from praising yourself for the good deeds. And, and if we just by sheer act of will say, okay, God, I'm going to keep my deeds a secret then how long is it going to be before we are praising ourselves for the secret that we are keeping? Jesus says, listen, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than just a sheer act of will. The only way that we will be able to do what Jesus calls us to here is if we eliminate the desire and the need for other people's approval. The only way that we will be able to do what He calls us to is if we put to death the desire that is driving us to do our acts before men. And we will only be able to do that when we know and believe and rest in God's love for us. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, page 1022 in the Pew Bibles. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. John writes these words. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. There was a song that we used to sing when I was in high school. It said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. As John writes these words, you can, you can just sort of see him just sitting back in amazement at the love that God has shown to people like us to people like Him, that we, in all of our sinfulness, and all of our rebellion, and all of our weakness, we should be called the children of God. Can you imagine? And yet John says, yet that is what we are. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it defies comprehension. But we are the children of God because of the love that God has shown for us in Jesus Christ. The good work is not yet complete. We, we, are, we have not yet received all of the benefits of His love. But it's coming. It's promised. It's been purchased by the blood of Christ. And John goes on then to say in verse 3, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. Did you get that? What is it that, what is it that motivates us to, to do true acts of righteousness? Acts of righteousness that are not done for others, but are done solely to, to please God. What is it that motivates true purity? That motivates true righteousness? It is everyone who has this hope. Everyone who knows that they are, in fact, a child of God, beloved by the Father. Delighted in, not because they are worthy, but because their Savior is worthy. It is that 
assurance of God's love for us in Christ that sets us free to no longer need the approval of men. We need the approval of men because we're trying to prove to ourselves that we're good. God says, listen, you're not. You're not. But you can be. You're not. But I will make you. I will make you good. I will satisfy that hunger for righteousness that dwells in your soul. If only you will come to me poor in spirit and meekness acknowledging your need of a Savior. Instead of trying to prove to your peers that, that you're really pretty good, instead of trying to prove that you're at least better than average, stop playing that game and come to me because you're not good. You're not worthy. But I can make you new. I can make you new. A little before he talks about those purifying themselves, he says this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. We've already been adopted. We are already loved by Him. A love that is sealed with the blood of His Son. He says, we are His children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. Why is it that you crave? Why is it that you crave the approval of men? Because you know, you know you're not right. You need approval from somewhere. But the approval of men is not the approval you need. The approval you need is the approval of Him who is the maker of heaven and earth. The one to whom we must ultimately give an account. He says, listen, what we will be is not yet. I know that. But, he goes on, we know that when He appears, that when our Savior comes again, on that day, we shall be like Him. On that day, we shall be as He is. On that day, we will be good. There is a desire to be good, a desire to be right, a desire to be respectable in each and every one of us. And I want you to hear this morning that that desire is not wrong. That desire is right. The problem is how we respond to it. In our foolish sinfulness, we respond to that desire to be right, that desire to be good, that desire to be respectable by trying to, to prove our righteousness to others, by, by trying to demonstrate that we're at least better than average, by, by doing our good deeds before men to be seen by them. Jesus says, listen, that will win you the approval of men, but it cuts you off from the only approval that you really need. It cuts you off from the grace of God that can make you not only appear righteous, but they can actually satisfy your hunger for righteousness. The better way, the way that Jesus calls us to, is to admit that we're not. To admit that we are not righteous. To admit that the things that we do do not prove we are righteous, but only prove that we aren't. To admit that we have a hunger for righteousness that only God can satisfy. If we will come to Him with that humility then we will be set free to do our righteous deeds in secret. Not mean that we'll never be seen doing them, but mean that we will no longer be doing them to be seen by others. And when we have that freedom, the things that we do will at that moment for the first time become matters of true righteousness. Expressions not of, of self-motivation, not of, of self-aggrandizement, but for the first time motive, motivated by true love for God and love for neighbor. They will be true love, therefore true righteousness. And so even in admitting that we're not, we are set free to become what we want to be. In fact, it's better than that. Jesus says, listen, if you will come to me hungry, I promise you, you will be satisfied. If you will come to him acknowledging that you're not yet righteous, that you're not yet what you want to be, 
that He promises you will be satisfied because He is the one. He is the one who made you. And He is the one who can remake you, who can make you new, who can make you like Him. Because that is what He promises to those who will simply acknowledge their need. That is one reason we call this good news. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, it is the height of stupidity to seek the approval of men instead of your approval. And yet we do it all the time because we don't believe the gospel. Father, set us free. Set us free to do our righteousness in secret. Set us free, Father, to, to put to death the concern for the praise of men. Set us free, Father, to love you and to love neighbor in a way that is holy, in a way that is righteous, in a way that is true, that we might bring praise to you and good to your people, and that we might one day have your reward. Father, this is our prayer, and we ask for it boldly in Jesus' name. Amen.